Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org forward slash resources. How's everybody doing today? Doing good? All right. Is everybody enjoying the 4th of July weekend so far? Who shot some fireworks so far? Look, (laughs) Pat did. Maybe we'll have some fireworks today. Amen. Come on. Um, We're just going to jump right into it. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be there today. And uh, 1 Corinthians, we'll jump all around, but uh, really, really want to share a word with you out of that, out of that storyline. Chapter uh, 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to start out in verse 10. As you go in there, it's good to see everybody. I hope everybody's doing well, doing well. It's warm outside, isn't it? When it gets in this part of the season, you know, like me, if you're, you know, I'm a big guy, so I sweat really easily. So it takes nothing for me to walk out, and I am drenched. It just, you go outside, and you just feel like somebody's already touching you. It's, it's, it's something, it's, whoo, it's hot. But uh, something that the Lord really stirred in my heart about uh, today is, um, is about the foundations. About the foundations. I, I want to bring a word this morning, I feel from the Lord, about foundation. And uh, I just want to, I feel the Lord that he wants to reinforce our foundation in him. Sometimes we have to do that. Sometimes we have to go back and revisit even the, uh, the basic things. Because it's real easy sometimes to get off track, isn't it? It's real easy. If you're not paying attention, sometimes you can just miss the wrong turn. We just, uh, last week we were up in New Jersey. We, uh, well, we were in New Long Island, New York. We took a, a trip up there to see my sister and uh, my niece graduate. And we went through, you know, Long Island, the Bronx, the Veranzano Bridge, that whole, wow. And then we came back to New Jersey on the way back. And it's like, it's intense driving if anybody's ever drove up there. Because it's like, I do not want to miss the wrong turn. Because I'll be turned around and it'll take me like two hours and five tolls to get back on track. Sometimes it works like that in our relationship with the Lord, doesn't it? So it's important to pay attention, especially having a solid foundation. So Jesus, we just thank you for what you've done already this far. For the next few moments, Lord, I just, I just say take over. Just take over, Lord. Lord, you know where each and every person is here right now. You know where they are in their life. You know how to speak and communicate your love and your word to them, Jesus. And so, Lord, I ask, invite you now, open up our understanding. Open up our capacity to receive. Lock us in, God. Let us behold your gaze. Let us see your your face and hear your voice in the next few moments, Jesus. And I just pray that the word of the Lord would run swiftly, that it would reign supreme in this place. We invite heaven in this place. We invite angels. We invite heaven in here, God. We ask for transformation, breakthrough, Signs and wonders, miracles in our lives, God. We believe that you are the God of miracles, the God of the Bible, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, Lord, we thank you, we honor you, and we place you at the head of the table, God. Come and break your bed with us this morning. In Jesus' name, Woo! amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. So 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 1. If anybody's ever studied the Corinthian letter, it's the letter that Paul writes to the Corinthian church. You know, he helped found the church many years before this. Him and a, and a group named Perquila, 
Is that right? Aquila, Aquila and Priscilla, he connected with them. Thank you. <laughs> he connected with them, and uh, through their relationship, they laid a foundation. 18 months, Acts says that he laid a foundation of the word of the Lord that established what became known as the Corinthian church. But like in every church, some things begin to happen, don't it? And like almost in every church, you have highs and lows. You can go from the height of glory and you go into the valley of the flesh real quick. Corinthian church had those kind of struggles. But by the time Paul, this letter reaches Paul, he reports, he wants to address some issues. Many people believe there's about eight issues that 1 Corinthians addresses, eight issues that have really rocked the church. But I'm just going to talk about the first issue because I think that's the main issue. It's the foundational issue. And it's an issue that Paul raises. Four chapters, the first four chapters he takes in this letter to address this issue. I believe from this issue, all the other issues were happening. So I think Paul spends a lot of time because it's very important to know. You know, I've also learned, you know, in reading the Bible and really studying the word, whenever scripture introduces something first, it's always an indicator that there's extra weight in terms of revelation on it. So this issue he, he introduces first. Let's read about it. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that you all agree. That you all agree with one another so that there may be no division among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and in thought. My brothers, someone from Chloe's household have informed me that there are now quarrels among you. What I mean by this is one of you says, I follow Paul. Another might say, I follow Apollos. Yet still another says, I follow Caiaphas. And yet another says, I follow the Christ. But is Christ divided? Come on. Who baptized you into the name of Paul? Wow. He's hitting an issue, isn't he? It got tense in the Corinthian church. There was a lot of issues from sexual immorality, from a man having incest relationships with his mother-in-law, to disorderly worship, to mess happening at the communion table. I mean, there was all these, all these issues. But Paul locks in to the main one, which is the division among the community. In other words, the division among your people in the groups. And he says, I want to I talk about that for a moment. And I want us to bring us to an important fact. This issue that Paul is addressing is not a theological issue. Some of you follow Paul. Some of you follow Apollos. Some of you follow Peter. Some, all these guys, Apollos, Peter, Paul, Jesus, they're all in agreement with one another. They're being faithful to what God called them to do, right? But it's the people's perception on the style of leadership and methodology that these leaders are expressing that is causing division. So what kind of division issue is it? It's a foundational issue. It's not a theological issue. It's a foundational issue. Because the foundation has cracks in it, division comes. I'm going to give an example. You know, when the enemy attacks us, one of the most points that he hits the most is he tries to tear up the foundation in our relationships. That's in any relationship. Friendship. Family, friends, let me give an example. Let me use my life, for example. Amber and I, our marriage. Mar I'm gonna talk to the married people. Who's married in the house? Raise your hand. Look at that. Thank you, Lord. If you're not, hang in there. 
I'm going to behave. Amber and I heard a statement one time from a professor we were at school at. It was very, very powerful, I thought. And it's a pretty challenging statement, but here's the statement. There are no such things as marital issues. There are no such thing as marital issues, but only unresolved issues from childhood and adolescent years that are brought into the context of marriage. And that kind of rocked our world a little bit. And I don't know about you guys, but it's been true for my wife and I. So I, I want to just share about how, how that happened. First, I want to talk about Amber. Amber, before I met Amber, she was in a relationship with a guy that the relationship wasn't good. And, um, and she's been free to share this too. Her, her relationship with her dad wasn't the greatest either. And um, previous boyfriends in her life wasn't that good as well. And so what happened is through her life and through her years, before, long before she met me, there was kind of a development of not really trusting men based on what they were doing to her in her life. And the, the pain, the rejection, things that were brought in, right, that would naturally cause a, a hindrance or a barrier not to trust somebody. So when we get married, now there's been a lot of breakthrough from then to when we got married, but when we get married, that begins to seep into the marriage, and not I mean, sometimes, you know, guys, we're not even that much in tune. And it's like, you know, I catch on to a little bit, but maybe not the whole thing. And, and Amber, you know, is, is struggling with this issue of letting me fully inside, like in the sense of, you know, connecting with us intimately, knowing each other, you know, fully trusting our hearts with one another, which should be the success of any, or, you know, it is the success for any marriage. You got you have to trust one another. And, and so she had a breakthrough at a conference one weekend and she took me out the side. I'll never forget it. And the Lord was moving on her and she just, un, she just unveiled this and she just released her heart. And she said she basically had a revelation that I was not gonna be like the men in her life previously, but that I would, could be trusted as the spiritual head of our household. And that caused a breakthrough in our marriage, a relationship. But up to that point, there was some dividing issues. Same way with me. What did I bring into the marriage? <sighs> Many things. But one of my major things was acceptance. Uh, one of my struggling points was that I longed to be accepted. Longed to be accepted. And that was through childhood, adolescent, and early years of my life. And because of the trajectory of my life, I, I didn't have a firm foundation. And I never allowed Jesus to give me the identity that he had for me. And as a result, I looked for acceptance in other places. And what that translates, if any of that's any of you too, what that translates a lot of times is it translates to developing unhealthy relationships with people. How is that? There's a development to become people pleasing. You become fear man, becomes really strong. And you, you, you work at your life because you, you're always aiming to please people. You, you want everybody to be happy. You want to see everybody calm and peaceful. You don't, you know, you, and you'll walk on eggshells to do it. But you know, sometimes you just can't do it. You know, there's a difference in making the peace and keeping the peace. And I was trying to keep the peace rather than make it. So this acceptance thing brought into the marriage, I had a tendency to put other people, especially in the ministry and stuff that I was doing, above Amber in my marriage. So how many know that can bring division in the relationship? Amen? But do you see how what happens, the whole point of this, is here we are having 
you know, we're with the Lord, we're going, you know, but we have unresolved issues that still need healing and addressing and we're bringing them into this thing called marriage. We're bringing them in into this context, into this covenant and we're making, you know, we're, we're going in our family. Thank God he has healed us and in, in, I think in these areas in a lot, of, a lot of ways. But the point is, this is what was happening in the Corinthian church on another scale. They are in a culture of Greece. These are Greeks and Jews, culture of Greece and their culture is completely different from the kingdom and what Paul is trying to lay out. So they're saved, they're on fire, but yet there's still some unresolved issues. Even though Paul stayed there 18 months, how many know it takes longer than 18 months to deal with some things in our hearts? <laughs> Took me a long time, more than 18 months. So he, they're bringing in unresolved issues into the church and it's causing division. So Paul is striking at that, that division cord. So Basically, bottom line, this is what I want to give us. I want to, you know, I'm all about learning. When I was in a drug rehab facility, I would see guys come in through the program recycled. They were saved and delivered. They were set free. They'd get out into the world and then they'd fall. They'd relapse, go right back into the program while I was there. So I always made it a point to pull up a seat and say, where did you go wrong? Because I don't want to make that mistake. So let's look at three mistakes that the Corinthians made. And then we're going to see three corrections come on that we can make and learn from that mistake. So there are three mistakes that this church made. And we are very susceptible to make the same mistakes. The first one, number one, you ready? They misinterpreted their identity. They misinterpreted their identity. That was mistake number one. When Paul says, you know, some of you follow Paulo, some of you follow Peter, some of you follow Christ. Basically, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen. You forgot the foundational truth. And now you are building your identity, not based on who Christ says you are, but you're building your identity on the basis of your favorite preacher and the style and the methodology that he expresses. Do you hear what I'm saying? They, they built their identity on that reality, on the reality of who their favorite leader was. Oh, isn't that so easy to do today? And when you build a foundation on that, what begins to happen is naturally you'll try to draw acceptance and approval and other things from that. And it leaves you in this place where you're always striving. You're always trying to, to, be, to be credited, to be pat on the back, approved, accepted by that group or by that person. It leaves you more empty than, than you fulfilled. Amen? Let me put it in our context. Okay, we're in a prophetic stream, Global River Church, right? This would be like saying, I'm going to follow Mike Bickle from IHOP, Kansas City. I like the way he teaches on intimacy. Man, can't nobody expound on the bride of Christ like Mike Bickle can in Kansas City. And someone said, well, I'm not, I'm not into the whole IHOP thing. I like Bill Johnson. Can't nobody explain the revelation like Bill Johnson. Can nobody bring the truth like Bill Johnson? Some may say, Bill's good, but nobody can do it like Lou Engel. Man, when Lou Engel speaks, there's a fire that comes in our hearts. We're excited. We're, we're ignited. I think I'm going to follow him. And all these groups begin to build their identity based on that reality. Do you see how that works? And it causes division. It causes contention. And what happens is we begin to misinterpret our identity. Let me speak real quick on identity. I love this subject. You know, we talk about identity a lot. We're sons and daughters of the king, but we got to go deeper than that. You know, there's, I think there's three dynamics 
that define identity, that give it definition. Number one is acceptance. Part of being established as who you are in Christ Jesus, there is a level and a measure of acceptance that you have to understand that you have. When you come into identity, the, the true identity is that when we yield our lives to Jesus, Jesus comes into our life and we allow him to speak his word. We allow him to speak who we are into us. And when we receive that, when we grab that, we are accepted. We know that we're accepted by him, not on the basis of what we did, our past, our testimony, how bad we've been, how good we've been, no matter shame or guilt, no matter abuse, no matter whatever, none of that matters because he accepts us for who we are in the moment as we come to him. Amen? Think of Jesus. When he came out of the Jordan River, come on, the father said, this is my son, what? Who I love, acceptance. Whom I love, acceptance. The father defined Jesus through acceptance. Come on. It's so important that we draw from the source for our acceptance and we don't go to tainted wells of man. Of, of polluted teachings and corruptions because if we're looking for that for our acceptance, then we begin to have a false reality. A false identity begins to form. Amen? Acceptance is huge. The second thing that really establishes who you are is, is, is approval. Part of identity is knowing that you're approved. When I think of approval, you know what I think of? I think of the word endorsement. Writing, writing a few books, I had my first book, I had people endorse it. I mean, that's, that's kind of what you do, I guess. You know, you want to like to add weight and credibility. So I, I reached out and I had a few people endorse my first book. And what does endorsing do? It gives credibility, doesn't it? It adds to, it defines, it strengthens the work. In the same way, God wants to approve us. He wants to give us his endorsement. How does he do that? When we allow ourselves to be defined by him through the word, come on, this is foundational stuff, and we move into who we are, then we have his approval. His approval looks like this. It looks like favor and blessing. So that wherever you go in your life, you will have his favor and his blessing. So that when you go into a room, you're carrying his favor and blessing. It's his approval that he is approving your lifestyle. He's approving the decisions you're making. He's approving the direction you're moving your family. And he's giving divine providence, divine favor that you cannot manufacture. Come on. Woo, come on. Come on. You got to get into it with me. His favor and his blessing. That's why David said, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. They go with us everywhere. They create opportunities where no other opportunities there are. They open the door where every other door is shut. Where everybody cannot break through, you break through. Why? Because the approval of heaven is on your shoulders. And the Father has marked you as a son and daughter of God. And you know who you are, you know you're accepted, and now you know you're approved. And we are ripped out of this rat race of striving. I need the microphone to define who I am. Oh, deliver us, Lord, I pray. If we could just get that out of us sometimes, this, if I can only get on the stage, if I can only get to the microphone and share the revelation that I have, if I can only do that, then it'll go well with me. Then doors will open. It doesn't work that way. 
You get your approval and acceptance from the prayer room. You get it on your knees, praying, God, I love you so much, Jesus. And you stay in this place. You stay in this place of, I'm, I'm powerless. I don't know. I, I don't even know what to do. I don't know where to move my family, God. I don't know whether to take this job or not. But God, you know. Show me what you want me to do, God. Give me a sign. It's that, it's that lifestyle. Come on. The third thing that, that really develops, I'm staying on, long on this point because I think it's important. The third thing that develops our identity the most too is assurance. Assurance. Acceptance, approval, assurance. Assurance, I think of insurance. Does anybody sell insurance in here? There we go. Insurance, based, the basic purpose of insurance is for protection. So when we're walking in this identity, we have his assurance. Now we are protected. Come on. So now that we know who we are, we're walking in that light. We know that the trials, it's not going to keep us from not ever having bad days or, or getting messed up. No, we're going to be in some trials. We're going to be in some suffering. We're going to be in some situations we're not going to know how to walk through or get out of. But when you have the assurance that he's with you in the storm, that he is walking with you in the valley of the shadow of death, then you won't fear anything. You won't fear any evil because his assurance, his protection is over you. So no matter how bad the family paradigm is crumbling, you have assurance that it's going to be okay. Come on, man. I'm just, we're just reinforcing the foundation. The Corinthians got off track. They misinterpreted this identity. They forgot who they were. They forgot who they were. I feel the Lord is speaking to us today. He's wanting us to really, really correctly, properly identify who we are. What does Paul do to address this? How does he correct it? Look in verse 18, chapter, chapter 1 still, verse 18. I want to read a few verses. After he kind of deals the blow, he goes like this. For the message of the cross, come on, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who is being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Listen to his tone, man. Listen to his heart right here. Where is the wise man? And where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. Yet God was pleased that through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. For Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for stunning wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jew and foolishness to the Gentile. But to those who have God has called, Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God is the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, remember what you were. Come on, man. This is, he's, he's causing them to reevaluate their foundation. He's saying, remember, Corinthians, you weren't made to be a church polluted with sexual immorality. You weren't made to be a church that was weak and couldn't demonstrate the power of the kingdom. You were made to be sons and daughters of the kingdom to express that reality in a pagan culture. Remember that, what you were when you were called. My favorite part, verse 27, because God chooses the foolish things of the world, come on, to shame the wise. And he chooses the weak things 
God, he chooses the weak things to shame the strong. And he chooses the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Come on. Paul is describing so eloquently the, not only the foundation of God, but the ways of God. We have to not only be familiar with God personally, we have to be familiar with his ways and understand the difference. What is Paul doing? Here they have all their little visions of their streams. But instead of all the visions of their streams, Paul is casting back a greater vision and pulling them back to what? The foundational message, the cross of Christ, him crucified, buried and resurrected, the foundation of who you are. Amen. You hear what I'm saying? The message of the cross, man, that's about the person of Jesus. It's the teaching of our Lord. It's his movings. It's his work. It's everything that he did. He gave. He gave up his identity so that you and I could have one. He left his family so we could be a part of one. He left the, the glory and the joys of heaven so that you and I could sit on thrones and with him and angels all of eternity. Not only that, he left those things so that you and I could bring his kingdom into the earth. Do you see what I'm saying? Do you, hear, do you really hear what I'm saying? Listen, Corinth, man, their culture was built on this worldview that knowledge is power. You're talking a culture that produced Plato and Socrates and Aristotle and, and the great philosophers and the minds and the wisdom of the age. Like today, maybe in our culture, maybe it's capitalism. Maybe it's the pursuit of the American dream. I don't know. What it, you can fill in the blank. But in Corinth, that culture, knowledge was power. And the pursuit of wisdom, the highest honor that you could do. But Paul is saying, you got to, listen, we attach ourselves to the wrong thing sometimes. And so through that attachment, the Corinthians are bringing that into the church in Corinth. They're bringing in that worldview. And Paul is saying, listen, y'all, this isn't the kingdom. This isn't the church. The church isn't, knowledge is not power. Humility is power. Foolishness is wisdom. Come on. It's upside down, backwards, inside out, left from right. That's the kingdom you're a part of. That's the community of believers. And what's he doing? He's resetting. He's like a father. Come on, he's addressing his spiritual kids. He's saying, guys, you got off base. You need to come back. You got into two spiritual stuff here. And you need to come on back to the foundational truth. Let me define who you are again. Let me speak to you in the midnight. Let me call you in intimacy. Let me cast the vision of your life. Let me direct your steps. Let me fill your heart with purpose. Let me fill you with fire. Let me ignite you once again. Let me use you like in the days of old. Let me refresh you. Let me tear down every wall. Let me break through every barrier. Come on. Woo. He calls us, he beckons us to that. Paul is saying, you gotta come back. You gotta come back to the foundation. So they made the mistake of misinterpreting their identity. Paul corrects it by properly aligning their identity on the basis of the foundation of the word and allowing God himself to speak identity. You know, that's how you get identity. You know that, I want you to know that. That's how you know who you are. You take a journal, you take a pen, you lock yourself into a closet and you get with God and you sit down and you say, God, I'm not leaving this moment in this place until you speak to me who I am. And he'll tell you. And you want to know, here's a, here's a key or a secret to it. 
whatever answer he'll give you is gonna be connected to one reality. And that is what image or what expression of God himself are you gonna reveal in the earth? That's who you are. Once you step into that, then your true destiny, your true purpose in life begins to unfold. And God leads you into that place. Hate and fear all lies from the enemy. Love is our true nature. Love is why we're alive. Come on. He corrects it. Second thing, mistake number two. They misused the gifts. You know, there was a church, I mean, they really, they really knew the spiritual gifts. They really had them in operation, but they misused them. Go to me in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, right? I'm gonna read verse one. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and the tongues of angels, two different tongues, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but if I have not love, then I'm nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor, surrender my body to the flame, but I have not love, then I gain nothing. Thank you, man. I told you I'd get to sweating. Hmm. How do we misuse the gifts? Everybody know that we have spiritual gifts imparted to us. Amen? If you don't know your gifts, I encourage you to really explore that. There's a lot of ways you can do that. But I think many of you already know that you have spiritual gifts and what they are. But I just want to speak on this one thing, is that what the Corinthians did and what we can be in danger of doing is allowing pride to seep into our gifts. That's what happened in the Corinthian church. They allow pride to come in. That's what the essence of Paul is saying. He's saying, look, you can flow in prophecy, signs and wonders. You can have faith that moves mountains. You can have the tongues of angels and men. You can do all of that and not have an ounce of love in your heart. If you're not operating in those gifts out of the place of love, then what are you operating them out of? For the church, it was pride. Pride had seeped in. If that's true, then I want to ask you a question. How does that happen? How can pride come in to our spiritual gifts as we're living our everyday life? How does that happen? Many ways, but one that kind of struck out to me is kind of an unlikely answer, but I want to throw it out there. Comes in the realm of obedience. Obedience. How, How do you say that? I want to make a statement. Although obedience is extremely necessary, and it is, it is not ultimate. It is not absolute. Although obedience is extremely vital and important, right? Jesus said, if you obey my teachings, if you obey my commands, if you obey, you know, then I'll love you. I'll show myself to you. And, and you know, all the, you fill in the blank. We know that there's a level of obedience required. Obedience is better than sacrifice. But how is it that obedience cannot be the ultimate or absolute? 
Go real quick back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul says it. And the issue of division over Apollos and all those things. Chapter 3, 1 Corinthians verse 5. Paul says, what is Apollos after all and what is Paul? Notice he says what and not who. Oh, I can stay there for a long time, but we don't have time. But he says what and not who. What after all is Apollos and Paul, only servants, through whom you came to believe? Although the Lord assigned us each task, here it is. I planted the seed and Apollos watered. But who gives the increase? It's real easy sometimes to think that even when the Lord calls us to do something and we are obedient and we follow it out, we think that our obedience is what causes the increase. But our obedience, though it is necessary, it is not ultimate. Because if we think it's our obedience, then we think it's our favor or our grace or our love or our whatever that brings the breakthrough or brings the healing or whatever. Do you hear what I'm saying? Obedience is necessary, but it's not ultimate in the sense that we can't afford to believe that because we obeyed, people are healed. We're just vessels. We're just vessels on the playing field. But if we do operate in that place, that's how we can slowly step into the place of letting pride seep into our gifts. And then when that happens, this is, what, this is how it happens. When that happens, a lot of times we don't even know it. We're deceived and partially and don't even know. So now we have a little bit of pride, even mixed in with good intentions. Our gifts are tainted a little bit. And so what happens is our gifts go from here to here. And there's an inward focus. And everything comes back to how we're going to build ourselves up. But the purpose of the gifts was to build up who? others, the church. So how does Paul make the correction? He comes back to love. Love has to be the center of all of our spiritual gifts and activity. When love is the center at our gifts, naturally we work to build others up and not ourselves. We edify the body. We strengthen those around us. We encourage and pour into them and the church begins to explode, right? And God gives the increase. So that's a I don't know, I just felt that was a word for us today that let's not make the mistake of misusing the gifts that he's entrusted us, but rather let's let love rule our gifts. Let love triumph over all. Let every motive, let every, whatever we're doing in ministry and work and family and church, I always, as I'm preaching to myself, I always try, Lord, what is my motive here? What is my heart? Lord, I want it to be love. I want it to do it from a place of love, not where I'm exalted or glorified or, or built up. I want love to be the center of my life and the gifts that you've given me. Amen? Paul hits the Corinthians with it. All right, third and last thing. He made, the Corinthians made one more mistake. They made a mistake in misreading their destiny. That happens. When, when you do misinterpret your identity and you use gifts not in the right way, it's very easy that then you can get off track in your calling and your purpose. So many people I've talked to, you know, even they've been with the Lord so long, one of the major things they always ends up coming out or tell me is they still don't know what God is really calling them to do or they don't, they don't have the direction. They're very confused. Am I in the will of God? Am I not in the will of God? You know? But a lot of that happens because the foundation's off here a little bit. But by correcting that, you can actually really walk into your destiny. I want to show you how. 
I want to revisit 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Go back to chapter 1 real quick. I know we're skipping around, but that's good. Chapter 1, 1 Corinthians. Our identity is definitely connected to our destiny. And what I mean by destiny, I mean by our purpose in life, our true call. Everyone in this room right now has a destiny. You have a true calling of the Lord on your life, marked to do amazing things. But the way for that to really be fulfilled depends on how well you'll receive and move in your identity. Does that make sense? We have individual identities, right? We're all different. We all have identity. But when we gather under this roof, we make up a community called Global River Church. We are a community of believers. Come on. So that means we have a collective identity, a corporate identity, just as the church at Corinth did. Here Paul speaks to it. Verse two, this is in the very beginning of the letter. He says, to the church, come on, to the ecclesia, to the community of believers of God in Corinth, the city, to those, highlight this word, sanctified. Sanctified. To those sanctified. What is he saying? He's speaking to their identity as a community. To those sanctified. To those set apart, in other words. To those who are different than the norm. To those who are peculiar. To those who are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. To those who are called not to fit in, but to stand out. Those who are different and set apart for a different work. To you who are sanctified. Paul's speaking to the soul of the church. He's speaking to their identity, not to the flesh. He's speaking to the soul of who they are. He's saying to those that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, listen, and called. Somebody say called. To be what? Holy. Called to be holy. Do you see that? Here's identity being expressed through destiny. Your call is to be holy. Your call, in other words, Corinth, is to be a holy church in an unholy city. Your call is to reveal the grandeur of the holiness of God. It is to bring Isaiah 6 revelation into the marketplace of Athens in Greece. It is to bring the holiness of God into the marketplace where people are undone, lives are transformed, community is transformed, revivals breaking out. You're called to be sanctified, holy, set apart. This is who you are. See, they got off track. As a church, they got off track pursuing even good things, but they had to come back to the foundational truth. This is who you are. This is who you're called to be. And when you come back to this place, then I'll begin to bless you. I'll begin to use you like never before. Come on. Here's a secret about, about the Corinthians, and then we're going to wrap this up. In their beginning, how I many? I, I love the beginning. In their beginning, Acts chapter 18. You can go there. You don't have to go there. But in Acts chapter 18, Paul goes to Corinth. He connects with Aquila and Priscilla and he lays the foundation. And in Acts chapter 18, it says, he stayed in Corinth teaching the word of God 18 months. And that's how the church started to where they were at the time he's writing this letter, right? Here's a secret. Go to, go, go to okay, you gotta go to it now because it's cool. Acts 18, 18, Bible nerd. Acts 18, 18. It gives us revelation though. 
So he's in there 18 months. He's teaching with them. But there's a, there's a small thing that the Bible mentions that gives a lot of insight. It says, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time, right? He stayed in the city for some time, right? You with me? He stayed in the city for some time. Then he left his brothers and sailed to Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. But here it is. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off because of a vow he had taken. How many know what vow he's talking about? In Numbers, there's a vow that God gave the Israelites called the Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow. The whole time he was sowing a foundation into this church, he was physically manifesting it by growing his hair out. And in the Nazarite vow, you didn't touch wine. You didn't touch alcohol. You didn't go near a dead body. You didn't associate with those things because it was a vow you were gonna make that nothing in your life was more important than you pursuing God. You are holy and set apart. That's what number six says. And it was a vow where you grew your hair completely out. At the end of the vow, you would shave your head and give it as an offering to the Lord. Paul, who is the champion of not keeping the law, so to say, is keeping the law. But it's not so much he's keeping the law for salvation, come on. He's honoring the law. He's still honoring the Old Testament. When you honor the word, God's gonna honor you no matter what. So in the, new, in the Nazarite vow, get that picture. Paul is growing his hair out. He's teaching them the word of God. And he's weaving into their DNA that you are a Nazarite people. That you are called and set apart, Corinth. And that you are to be different than any other people group in this city. You're going to be a forerunner and a preparer for the king of kings to come in. He's going to establish his throne in the middle of your city. 1760. This guy came burning to Wilmington. Man, he laid a foundation. He took kids out of the city, baptizing them, preaching the gospel, outdoor Sunday school. It birthed First Presbyterian Church downtown Wilmington. First Presbyterian had two visitations of the Lord. The first happened in 1858. And in 1858, the great prayer layman's revival broke out all over America and New York City. It touched Wilmington through First Presbyterian downtown. First Presbyterian opened up their church and began to have noonday meetings for business leaders to come in and pray and seek the Lord. Fire from heaven fell in the meetings. Come on. People were marked. It, we got a record that says there was an elder of the church. His name was John C. Lata. John Lada got so on fire, this is Presbyterian, as a Presbyterian that he went to the great Presbyterian convention up north and he shared what was happening in Wilmington. And the record says, zeal from this man's heart struck fire in the crowd. Amen. Something was happening in Wilmington. 1858, four churches are birthed in downtown out of that meeting. First Presbyterian plants their first church. It's known as Chestnut Presbyterian Church. It is made up of 20 white members and 30 plus African American members. In 1858, it is one of the only diverse congregations in the city. 
worshiping together, seemed for a moment racism was non-existent. And then all of a sudden, what ended up happening was civil war comes, racial divide. The African-American members of the church buy it. They rename it the first African-American Presbyterian church. And it becomes that in the state of North Carolina. What does that mean? That means every Presbyterian church that is African-American in the confines of North Carolina traces their roots to this one in Wilmington birthed out of this prayer meeting by white and black. 20 years later, 1893, the same church leaders feel God wants to move in the city. They invite a preacher named D.L. Moody. Anybody ever heard of D.L. Moody? D.L. Moody comes to Wilmington, champion compress, downtown, 5,000 people gathered, standing room only. He lays down the simplicity of the gospel and the presence of God fills the warehouse. Tears are flooding the altars, roars of repentance mixed with shouts of joy. The newspaper even declared revival has come to Wilmington. Some years after that meeting, he dropped a message. D.L. Moody did. He said, global missions. His, his heart was that Wilmington would raise up missionaries to touch the nations of the earth. First Presbyterian responded by sending missionaries to China the very next year, where they built training schools and churches that are still flowing today. 1919, 20 years after that, the same church feels it stirring up here in Myrtle Grove. They send an elder here. They begin planning meetings at this little white church, this little white Pentecostal church across from Home Depot. It becomes Myrtle Grove Presbyterian Church. From 1919 to 1975, that church remains with 50 members. But around 1975, a man named Horace Hilton was brought in from Charlotte. Horace Hilton was a spirit-filled Presbyterian pastor. I mean, come on. He is brought in from Charlotte. He takes that little church over, and guess what happened? It explodes. It goes from 60 members in one year to 240 in one year. 400 members the following year. And Horace begins to teach and feed the congregation on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit crowded the house they can't even get in and led them to build Myrtle Grove Presbyterian Church. Myrtle Grove Presbyterian Pastor Steve Mattis came after Horace Hilton. The vineyard movement now in the 1990s is exploding in America. They try to get it at Myrtle Grove Presbyterian, but a group in there kind of disagreed with the way it was heading. Sometimes the Holy Spirit, when he breaks out and we lose control, it's scary. He's forced, basically, he comes over and he plants this church right here today. It's called the Vineyard. And for many years, the Vineyard explodes. Many of you have been here, you know this, and the Holy Spirit moves. Unfortunate circumstances happen. Pastor Steve steps down. Pastor Tom is brought in. The Lord raises up Pastor Tom, who takes us from the Vineyard to Global Awakening with Bill Johnson and Randy Clark to going to the nations of the earth. Fulfilling what was prophesied in 1893 by D.L. Moody that was also prophesied by Horace Hilton in, in our past. Why are you saying all this? Here's what I'm getting at. There is a theme. There is a storyline. There is a narrative historically, prophetically, that God is weaving in to the DNA of who we are as a church. 
We have a foundation and we are called to be holy and set apart because no other church in Wilmington, North Carolina, the South, has the same story that we have. We are unique. Someone say, I am unique. You are original. And God loves it. God loves it. That's what Paul's saying. I think that's what he's saying. This is your foundation. This is who you are. You got to come back to it. I believe we're on the verge of something here. I believe we're getting ready to be launched in a whole new season. And like Mark brought the word to us this morning, we need to break off every expectation of what it looked like before, even now, and go in as children to daddy's lap and just saying whatever you will, God. Will you stand with me? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Whew. Thank you, Jesus. From that history, this is what I learned. Here's the reoccurring theme. Local and global missions. John 17 displays unity of racial and denominational walls being broken. The training and equipping of young adults and a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit to do whatever he wants to do. This is who we are. This is our, our makeup. And whether you know it or not, you have been brought into that storyline and your chapter has collided with that book and that's why you're here. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I just want to, I just feel like the Lord wants to respond this morning. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Just bow your heads with me. Let's just go to the Lord real quick. Thank you, Father. Lord, we just welcome you, Lord. We thank you. God, Lord, we thank you. Just, just take a look, one more second and just let the Lord speak to you right now. We had a word in the prayer, prayer room this morning from Isaac. Isaac had a stirring that, that God was going to break down walls today. That there were going to be emotional breakthroughs. I just feel the Lord. This is what I feel, guys. I feel, I feel that some of us have drifted away from the foundation. And I feel like the Lord is wanting a response. He wants to give an invite today to recommitting yourselves to Him. To recommitting your lives to Him. To coming back to the original foundation of why you were called. To fulfill the vision of His heart in this city. You see, this church has a citywide call, a regional call. It's a gateway church. It's an Antioch. And you are a revival people. You're not made to be pew sitters. You're not made to be the nominal Sunday morning. You're different. You're unique in your own right. And the enemy has tried to stop that. He's tried to hinder who you are by silencing your voice. He's tried to keep you down. Because you might not fit in with a particular group or a stream. Maybe you don't look a certain way or dress a certain way or act a certain way. 
I'm just, I just feel the Lord. I'm giving you permission to be you right now. I give you permission to be you in whatever that looks like. By the spirit of Jesus, I give you permission to be who you have been made to be. Let your hair down. Kick your shoes off. You don't have to perform for anybody. You don't have to strive for it. You already have it. So I feel like today, God, he just wants to connect his presence to your heart. He wants to infuse his character with your personality. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, so come on. So I just want to invite you guys up. If, if you feel like if you feel like you need to come back to the original foundation, maybe you need to come back and recommit your life to Christ. You need to recommit. Why are you doing what you're doing? Just come on up right now and just begin to gather around. Let's just pray and seek the Lord. Let's just take one moment. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus and you are not saved, come over here to this side right here. Just gather around right here and we would love to pray for you. Take a, just take a couple moments. There's no shame here. There's no guilt. Truly, he uses the foolish things to confound the wise. Fifteen years ago, I lived in a trailer and had a crack pipe in my mouth. If anybody doesn't deserve to be here, it's me. But by his grace, come on. But by his grace, I am what I am. You too, you the same way. By his grace, we are what we are, guys. Some of you need to step into your identity today. Come on down. Some of you need to step into another realm of who you are. Thank you, Jesus.